crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome back to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Brent Noctegal, your host. Thank you very much for joining me this Sunday, August 22nd. Thanks for everyone that's been writing in requesting the newest edition of our Watch Jerusalem print magazine. This is the one featuring uh, the late Dr. Elot Mazar on the front cover of it, remembering the life and work of Dr. Elot Mazar, 1956-2021. If you haven't received a copy of this yet, well, let's say if you haven't ordered a copy of this yet, Please go ahead and do so. You'll want to avail yourself of this magazine where we look back at the most important of Dr. Mazar's discoveries, um, let's say ever since 2005 here in Jerusalem. And uh, this is obviously a free magazine that we send out to people that request it around the world, uh, particularly here in Israel. There's been a number of new subscribers sign up uh, this week uh, here in Israel, so that was really great to see. And um, so we have a bunch of copies here that we can send along to you if you so desire. You can do that by writing emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il and we'll make sure that you get a copy. For today's program, we're going to put biblical archaeology to the side just because of the, the really pressing nature of the events in Afghanistan. And I'm going to talk about the events there in light of the nation of Iran in the context of biblical prophecy. As you know, by listening to this program and also going to our website, you know that we track Iran's rise more than any other uh, geopolitical reality in the Middle East. And we do that based on a prophecy found in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, which talks about the main thrust of conflict that's going to take place that pushes the world towards a war that leads to the coming of the Messiah, finally to this earth. And what and the, the event that precipitates that or the, the, the major player that precipitates that push so that we know whether we're close to that event is radical the radical Islamic empire of Iran. Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40 talks about this king of the south that anciently was typed by Egypt, but now is typed by this radical Islamist grouping of nations led by Iran and how this is going to push this group, radical Islam, pushing at the king of the north, which is a revitalized, reunited Europe. And we can see that taking shape already uh, in Europe and, and specifically related to what's going on in Afghanistan. And so I want to make sure we, we focus on that today to give you some clarity about what comes next in Afghanistan and how this could fit into the biblical picture in terms of prophetic end-time events. And so you're not going to receive this uh, receive this type of viewpoint elsewhere, and it's very difficult even now to find other publications discussing how Iran is going to benefit from what's going on in, in Afghanistan. Of course, the Taliban takeover after the United States tries to withdraw from there, um, there's a lot of players that are looking to benefit from it. Um, but one player that this world, the mainstream media, is missing as benefiting and even precipitating what we're, what we're seeing right now is the nation of Iran. 
Of course, Iran borders Afghanistan uh, on its eastern border. And of course, in in uh, history going back 20 years, the Iranians and the, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, uh, in many ways, they were enemies. And Iran has fought against the Taliban in the past. And the Taliban has killed Iranian citizens in the past. However, this is a different Taliban that we're seeing right now that is taking control over Kabul as America tries to evacuate its last of its citizens and, and others that have helped America out over the 20-year war there. Um, it's not a different Taliban like the mainstream media is reporting, that this is a moderated group that is going to, you're going to see women everywhere through their, uh, through their government and, and allow women to hold office or women to be educators or things like that. No, that's the, it's the same extreme, radical, fanatical, Islamist Taliban as we saw before. But in many ways, they've become even more practical in that in that they recognize the power and the strength of their Iranian neighbor in the cause for pushing and exporting out uh, radical Islam on a global stage, and they are joining forces. It wasn't like this before. They've been joining forces going back to 2015 and even earlier, and that's what we're going to focus on in the bulk of today's program, is looking at the events that have taken place since 2013 onwards, talking about and showing how the relationship between the Taliban and Iran has become far closer and to show how this was precipitated by the, the second term of Barack Obama in the United States. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise, therefore, that the Biden administration isn't just withdrawing from Afghanistan. The Trump administration wanted to do that as well, but is withdrawing in a way that the vacuum is quickly filled by the Taliban and withdrawing in a way that the Afghan resistance has, has folded completely because they've got no air support, no support whatsoever. The contractors are gone as well. They are withdrawing in a way that is going to uh, r really increase the strength of radical Islam inside Afghanistan and also and also inside Iran as well. Everyone's missing this. Well, not everyone. There are a few, and I'm going to get to an article um, by Shelley Kittleson uh, later, why Iran will welcome the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan. You search Iran and you search Afghanistan and Taliban right now on Google News or wherever, try and find some stories about this. This is the only one that is going to look back historically over the past decade and see why Iran actually wants this and how they're going to benefit and how they're not scared of a Taliban takeover and how they've precipitated a Taliban takeover, how they've walk, worked with the Taliban to allow them to have the power to do this. She's the only one that's going to talk about it. The rest have headlines like this. Haaretz, August 13th. Taliban surge will force Iran to forge a new defense strategy. Not really. Wrong. Atlantic Council, August 20th, a think tank in the, in the U.S. Iran spent years preparing for a Taliban victory. It may still get stung. Not going to get stung. Politico, August 18th. Taliban victory in Afghanistan spells trouble for neighbors. And it talks about Iran. No, it doesn't. Bloomberg, August 19th. Iran braces for life next door to the Taliban once again. They've been helping them do this. I doubt they're bracing for anything. Deutsche Welle, August 12th. Afghanistan, Taliban offensive puts Iran in a bind. 
<laughs> no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. I'm not don't mean not meaning to make light of the situation that's going on there. But these headlines are wrong. And this is what you're going to see almost everywhere. But we have a Biden administration in the United States, which is becoming increasingly clear that Joe Biden isn't running the government and they're pushing forward an agenda that was uh, foreseen and even uh, and even designed to take place by the 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 um, by Barack Obama's government back in 20, 2015. Again, this is something we we if you're looking back to to see prophecy in this. For 20 years, we've said that the United States is not going to win uh, in Afghanistan, and they're going to be defeated, and radical Islam is going to, and the king of the terrorist snake, which, which is Iran, is going to, radical Islam is going to merge in power uh, and intact, the snake of radical Islam, and its head will be intact and stronger than ever. That was our forecast in November 2011, uh, 20, 2001. So that was just as American boots were getting on the ground. Like it looks like there's a lot of force here, a lot of power, and there was, and there has been. But we were able, based on prophecies found in the book of Leviticus and elsewhere, to know that the United States was not going to be successful. And Mr. Gerald Flurry, our editor-in-chief, has an article right now on Watch Jerusalem. I think it's called The Lesson of Afghanistan or something like that. I'll put it in the show notes of today's program, and you can go ahead and read that. This has been read by thousands and thousands of people on Watch Jerusalem, actually. It's been one of our most popular articles of the past year, and that was just posted a couple of days ago, to show how we knew that the United States, the lone superpower, was going to fail in Afghanistan at eradicating al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Now, it did do pretty well at eradicating uh, al-Qaeda eventually, causing it to go elsewhere. Um, However, the Taliban is back and Al-Qaeda is probably going to follow it very soon as well. So that's one prophecy. I want to put that to the side uh, for today's program and just focus on how Iran and the Biden administration and the Obama administration have been facilitating the Afghani, the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan and to the point of the United States actually uh, going along with what's happening and, and pushing along the empowerment of radical Islam. Again, this is the Middle Eastern policy of Barack Obama is to empower Iranian-led radical Islam. That's it. And it's becoming more and more clear as every day goes by. Looking at what's happening right now around the airport in Kabul, you know it's going to end very badly for the United States there as it tries to figure out to get thousands more people out of that out of that country through that disastrous scene. And you know that radical Islam is going to benefit from it as well. Just as a side point, I do want to play a little video here from a, a British former politician um, just to show you uh, how much the rest of the world is seeing what America is doing right now and how this was uncalled for and unnecessary considering that Americans haven't lost a life there in about 18 months, uh, considering bang for your buck right now, how this Afghanistan footprint of the United States was keeping this country from falling to the Taliban. And this, again, this isn't your Afghan war from 10 years ago, what's been taking place over the past year. This has been a very safe Afghanistan Largely because the Trump administration, although they were, again, negotiating with the Taliban, I'm not giving them a pass for that, but they basically said, you touch one of our people, you touch an American contractor, and we're coming after you. 
The Taliban saw what was going on with Suleimani, what went on with Suleimani. And they applied the logic of one American contractor dying in Iraq and a week later, Kingpin Suleimani dying, the Quds Force leader in Iran. The Taliban applied that same logic and took Trump at his word when he said that. And that's why you didn't have any deaths of American servicemen for so long uh, in Afghanistan. But first, I want to play this uh, clip uh, here. You might have already seen this, but it does capture, let's say, the 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 decision that was made by the Biden administration to pull out in this fashion and how unnecessary it was and how dangerous it will end up being. Provided all the air support for the Afghans. They didn't just take their own planes away. They took away 16,000 civilian contractors who were maintaining the Afghan helicopters. It took them out of the country so those things couldn't even fly. And the morale damage they left in the middle of the night from Bagram. I didn't even tell the commander that they were leaving. The Afghans woke up in the morning, all their planes disabled, the Americans have left, no support of any kind. And you're asking who exactly? Who is President Biden asking to fight? I mean, if you are an Afghan woman teaching in a school in Pulichaki, really? Really? I mean, what are they expecting? A bunch of guys come riding in and pick up trucks with heavy machine guns into your town? You don't want the Taliban in there. You don't support them. But if you're genuinely asking them to put up a suicidal fight when the United States and Britain was not even prepared to keep 2,500 soldiers and some planes in the country with zero casualties, zero risk over the last few years. I mean, this has been an extraordinary betrayal. Right? It's difficult to get the figures, but as far as one can tell, no U.S. serviceman has been killed in Afghanistan for 18 months. No British serviceman for longer than that. This has not been a costly mission since 2014. This was the easiest thing to continue to do for the Afghan people. There was absolutely no reason to do this. To do this, to basically hand them over to the Taliban and then say, it's your fault, you're all a bunch of cowards, when we pulled out and weren't prepared to accept a tiny presence. We have 10 times the number of people who've been in South Korea in the US military for 70 years. Do we think taking them out is gonna be smart? Right, nothing's gonna happen if you suddenly take them out? This idea that because you haven't sorted everything in 20 years means you have to just walk away. What are we going to do? Okay, so we haven't sorted North and South Korea in 70 years. Take the troops out. But, I mean, it's, it's insanity. It's insanity. That was uh, Rory Stewart, a commentator, a British commentator, former conservative MP. And it certainly is. But why did it happen? Again, it happened in this fashion because the benefactor of this United States withdrawal was going to be radical Islam. It is going to, and we're going to see this come out, especially going forward, thinking about how many American servicemen or Americans trying to get to the, to, to the airport are probably going to be taken by uh, the Taliban, that are probably going to be taken by ISIS, whoever else. There's been reports that ISIS is active around the airport now as well. And then future ransom payments. If you want to be able to justify ransom, justify paying a lot of money, if you're the United States, the Biden administration, to, to the Taliban or to other actors, then you want to justify giving them money. Well, then you've created here a scene where you'll have to do that to get back, to get back those people that are going to be, um, are going to be taken. And it's hard to see a situation where this doesn't happen, considering the thousands, the thousands of Americans that are still trying to get out of the country and the thousands and thousands of non-Americans that are flooding the way to the airport. 
that the Taliban says, come on through the 10 checkpoints or whatever they have to try and get to. Come on through, non-Afghanis, uh, non-Americans. You just flood the front of this to make it even harder for the Americans or those with visas to even push forward. Not to mention trying to prove that those that are coming to the front are actually legitimate visa holders. There was a report that Ted Cruz referred to um, to show that, you know, all it was was a little visa slip that was sent to email addresses that could, without a barcode, without a name on them from the United States government that anyone could print off and go give out a hundred copies to try and get on one of these planes. I think it was as of yesterday or the day before, there was 18,000 people that had been airlifted out of there. Two and a half thousand of those are Americans. That's it. So who are the other people? Yes, some of them are going to be those that did help the United States and the coalition in Afghanistan. Uh, no doubt. But who are the rest of them? Who are the rest of them? Obviously, it's, 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 it's very easy to see how Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS are getting a hold of these no names, no barcoded uh, United States visas to access the airplanes, to slip on one of these airplanes. And, and this, is just a, this is just a curse that's going to go on, it seems, for some time. <clears throat> this is nothing about what I want to cover, though. I want to just stay with Iran. This is the article that I think I'm, I am going to link to, and I think it'd be great for you to read this article by Shelley Kittleson. This is somebody that spent the, dec the past decade in the Middle East reporting uh, who spent a few months here in July and August actually in Afghanistan reporting, talking to locals. The article's entitled, Why Iran Will Welcome the Taliban Takeover in Afghanistan. And this is what she writes from Kandahar. He travels with Iranian bodyguards, a tribal elder and local police chief alleged about a Taliban commander from his home district in Shah Wali Khot. Quote, he has traveled back and forth from Iran for decades. He was previously a commander near Herat during the Taliban rule over Afghanistan between 1996 and 2001. The police chief who requested an anonymity for security purposes told me in an August 2nd interview held in a secluded location from the outskirts of the city of Kandahar. So this is an interview that took place with a police chief or former police chief that's noting about how this Taliban leader is heading back and forth from Iran for a long time. After the former Taliban capital fell once again to the Taliban on August 12th, the man I interviewed was reportedly hanged. Gone. And there's a lot of assassinations that have been taking place among people that would speak out about Iran's connection to the Taliban. When the Taliban took Afghanistan's key Islam, Islam Kala border crossing with Iran on July 9th, locals reported that Iranian officials on the other side welcomed them. Hey, Taliban, welcome. Take this border crossing, a very important strategic border crossing to the Iranians. They took that away from the Afghani government. When on August 6th, it seems like the capital of Nimroz province in the western Afghanistan was about to fall and many of those afraid of the Taliban rushed towards the border to escape, Iranian officials instead reportedly refused entry to most of those fleeing. And then what she's going to do throughout this article is show how Iran and the Taliban have had a historical relationship or a relationship, let's say, over the past decade. She continues on a bit further. While I was reporting from Kandahar, multiple security officials told me that Iranian weapons had been found in the hands of killed Taliban fighters in the area. They added that they had received information on Iranian fighters operating in Nimroz, Herat, and Helmand provinces in western and southwestern Afghanistan near the border with Iran. 
Now, this is like current Iranian operatives inside Iran, uh, inside Afghanistan fighting alongside the Taliban. Shortly before the Taliban took over the Islam-Kala border crossing, which is the one with Iran, which had in recent years brought in a significant amount of customs revenue for a government largely reliant on these very revenues alongside international aid for its functioning. In early July, a meeting was held in Tehran between the Taliban representatives and the Iranian government. So this is really interesting, and there's just so little coming out about it, but directly precipitating or directly before this amazing blitzkrieg campaign of the Taliban across Afghanistan, when many of the Afghanis did walk away from their posts because they were terrified because the United States had left them, there was a meeting with Taliban officials in Tehran talking to the Iranians. On August 6th, there's just another... another um, Further on this article, on August 6th, the the head of the government media information center, so this is the good government, if we could put it that way, in Afghanistan, Dawa Khan Apple was assassinated in Kabul. He had worked previously for years as a journalist and had often helped both Afghan and international journalists with contacts and information. I had met with him two weeks before in his Kabul office to learn information on uh, on Kandahar, where part of his family was from. He, too, told me that it was clear that Iran uh, Iran was supporting the Taliban. And so this lady, I mean, I don't, not blaming her, but she's leaving a trail of destruction in her wake people she talks to that mention the fact that Iran is helping the Taliban, it doesn't take long before they they end up killed. Definitely not blaming her at all. But this is the situation. This is a truth that it's not, people do not want this to get out. Iran doesn't want this to get out. That they have been directly involved in strengthening the Taliban. And that's, of course, by design for the Biden administration. They want to see a radical Islam led by Iran dominate the Middle East. That's what they want to see. And the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban is doing exactly that. So right now I'm going to go back to an article from the Wall Street Journal. So if you do your research, you'll see since 2015 onwards, articles come out, and we're going to go through some, which show how Iran has been training, equipping the Taliban, fighting alongside the Taliban, taking al-Qaeda, Uh, on board into Iran. They're acting together as one. Mutual interests destroy the great Satan, of course. But even they're putting aside a lot of their religious differences. Of course, the Taliban is Sunni and has Shiite blood in its hands, both inside Afghanistan, which I think has Afghanistan is 20% Shiite, something like that. And so uh, that is in the past. They are working together right now. Now, I don't know how this is going to work out in the end, whether it is that the, the Iranians are going to work together with the Taliban for a while and then ditch them, try and take over the country themselves, or whether they stay united under the banner of Islam to take on Europe together. That probably seems more likely at this point. So this is an article, Wall Street Journal, June 11th, 2015. Just a couple of quotes from here, and we're going to move through a timeline from 2015 onwards to show how Iran and, have, and the Taliban have become closer. This is written from Kabul. Or Kabul. Both versions, I guess, correct. Um, Quote, When Abdullah, a Taliban commander in central Afghanistan, needs more rifles and ammunition, he turns to the same people who pay his $580 a month salary, his Iranian sponsors. Heard much about this? 
heard much about this, that going back to Barack Obama's term in office, the Iranians, this is the precise time again, remember, precise time that the Obama administration's negotiating a nuclear deal to empower Iran, give it loads of cash, sanctions relief, pallets of cash arriving in at the Iranian Tehran airport in Tehran as well. All of that, getting back uh, numerous of its um, uh, terrorists back into the country from the United States. So right when that's happening, Iran is funding and equipping the Taliban to fight against Americans and Afghanis in Afghanistan. So you've got, and this just adds another layer to how disastrous the nuclear deal was. Put aside the nuclear element of it. That, well, this was what was going on on the sides. We've talked at length about what was going on in Syria and how the Obama administration gave a free pass to Bashar al-Assad to massacre over 100,000 of his own people. Why? Why did the United States do that? So it could pursue a nuclear deal with Iran? Syria's benefactor. And here we have on the other side of Iran, what's going on there? Well, we have the situation in 2015 where Iran is funding the Taliban and giving them weapons. Quote, Abdullah, Taliban commander, Iran supplies us with whatever we need. Afghan Western officials say Tehran has quietly increased its supply of weapons, ammunition, and funding to the Taliban and is now recruiting and training their fighters, posing a new, fr new threat to Afghanistan's fragile security. And then it says that a Western diplomat said Iran is betting on the re-emergence of the Taliban. They are uncertain about where Afghanistan is headed right now, so they're hedging their bets talks about how that the Pakistan is obviously used for the Taliban for such a long time. Now, you will hear that. You're going to see this. You're going to see how the Taliban and Pakistan, they are the best. They are working together all along. And they have been. I'm not saying that they haven't. But who's going to come out and talk about the Iranian connection? The Bible puts the focus on the Iranian connection, not on the, correct, on the connection to Afghanistan. Uh, to Pakistan, sorry. This is, uh, continuing this article, Iran's alliance with the Taliban took a new turn in June 2013, the year the nuclear deal, remember, really took off publicly, when Tehran formally invited a Taliban delegation to participate in a conference on Islam and to meet senior Iranian officials. By the fall of that year, Afghan security officials said they had clear evidence that Iran was training Taliban fighters within its borders. So this is 2013. Tehran now operates at least four Taliban training camps, according to Afghan officials and Mr. Abdullah, the Taliban commander. They are in the Iranian cities of Tehran, Mashhad, Zahidan, and, the, and in the province of Kerman. At the beginning, quoting now the source, a senior Afghan source, at the beginning, Iran was supporting Taliban financially, said an Afghan official, but now they are training and equipping them too. So that was happening ever since 2013. The relationship started to change, and again, it took off from there. 2015 now. This is an article that came out in the Middle East, uh, Middle East Eye, I think it was yesterday. But in 2015, with the Islamic State group an offshoot emerging in Afghanistan, a delegation of Taliban leaders visited Tehran to discuss opening a political office there. And a page began to be turned. So it was already turned, but it turned a lot quicker in 2015. It was a big change. Again, 
year the negotiating the nuclear deal was negotiated. That year, Soleimani also visited Afghanistan, conducting several meeting agreements with the Taliban leaders, according to Iraqi commanders of Iranian-backed armed forces who were closest close to the general. The agreement included many things. So this is what happened in 2015. It marked a huge sea change between the relationship between Iran and Afghanistan. Soleimani, the Quds Force leader, one of the most powerful men in, in Iran, he goes over to Afghanistan, talks about how the Iranians, uh, they wanted uh, to s- make sure that, Af- that American bases didn't take place next to the Iranian border. They told him, you increase the pace of attacks against U.S. forces there to try and get them out, and you don't touch the Shia Afghans. That's what they told the Taliban. In return, Iran promised to provide unlimited financial and technical support to the Taliban. It sent Revolutionary Guard officers to train and advise Taliban fighters and allowed them to establish camps and safe havens for the group's leaders inside the Iranian border. So they're giving safe haven to the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in 2015. And this was arranged by Qasem Soleimani. This is an article, Radio French International. Afghanistan, this is from December 2016. Afghanistan has announced, or actually, I think I want to play this. I want to play a clip at this point. Yeah, let's do that. This is a clip that I'm going to play from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. This was the last uh, major speech that Pompeo gives before he leaves office. This is, I think, January 12th or early January 2021. So just this year. And he chooses this time to showcase to the world the relationship between Al-Qaeda and Iran. Of course, Al-Qaeda is, they were the operatives of the terrorist organization that were behind the ter- September 11th terrorist attacks and other attacks for years against America, the United States. They had been working out of Afghanistan. That was one of the reasons to go into Afghanistan, to target Al-Qaeda, who the Taliban was giving safe haven to. They've also obviously been working in, in Pakistan. But in 2015, there was a massive change. You have Soleimani going to talk to the Taliban and say, we're going to fund you and equip you, and you can set up bases, we'll train you. And you have the Al-Qaeda then moving its home base uh, to Tehran as well. This is him from uh, earlier this year, Secretary of State, or former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. Everything changed in 2015, the same year that the Obama administration and the E3, France, Germany, Britain, were in the middle of finalizing the JCPOA. A sea change was happening within the Iran-Al-Qaeda axis. Let me give you some information that is brand new to the public today. Iran decided to allow Al-Qaeda to establish a new operational headquarters on the condition that al-Qaeda operatives abide by the regime's rules governing al-Qaeda's stay inside of the country, agency, and control. Since 2015, Iran has also given al-Qaeda leaders greater freedom of movement inside of Iran under their supervision. The Iranian Ministry of Intelligence and Security and the IRGC have provided safe havens and logistical support, things like travel documents, ID cards, passports, that enable al-Qaeda activity. As a result of this assistance, Al-Qaeda has centralized its leadership inside of Tehran. Ayman al-Zawahiri's deputies are there today. 
Frankly, they're living a normal Al-Qaeda life. Al-Qaeda terrorists like Saif al-Aden and the now dead Abu Muhammad al-Masri have been able to place a new emphasis on global operations and plotting attacks all across the world. Tehran has allowed Al-Qaeda to fundraise, to freely communicate with Al-Qaeda members around the world, and to perform many other functions that were previously directed from Afghanistan or Pakistan. Al-Qaeda now has time because they're inside Iran, they have access to money. They have a range of Iranian support. They now have new tools for terror. You now have the world's state, largest state sponsor of terrorism, the Islamic Republic of Iran, as the home base for Al-Qaeda. So that was Secretary of State Mike Pompeo telling you that things changed in 2015 with the Obama administration when they, when they were uh, negotiating a nuclear deal. Al-Qaeda heading across to Iran. At the same time, you have Iran propping up and funding the Taliban as well in Afghanistan. This is an article from the New York Times, August 5th, 2017. Afghanistan from Farah. A police officer guarding the outskirts of this city remembers the call from his commander, warning that hundreds of Taliban fighters were headed his way. Within half an hour, they attacked, recalled Officer Najibullah Amiri, 35. The Taliban swarmed the farmland surrounding his post and seized the western riverbank here in Farah, the capital of the province of the same name. It was the start of a three-week siege in October. And only after American air support was called in to end it and the smoke cleared did Afghan security officials realize who was behind the lightning strike. Iran. Again, New York Times, 2017. Four senior Iranian commanders were among those the scores of dead. Afghan intelligence officials said, noting their funerals in Iran. Many of the Taliban dead and wounded were also taken back across uh, the nearby border with Iran, where the insurgents had been trained and recruited and trained. The assault, coordinated with attacks on several other cities, was part of the Taliban's most ambitious attempt since 2001 to retake power. But it was also a piece of an accelerating Iranian campaign to step into a vacuum left by departing American forces, Iran's biggest push into Afghanistan in decades. So this was here, I think it was the end of 2016 or in the start of 2017. It's not exactly clear clear the exact day this happened. But you have the largest assault that the Taliban had against the Afghan military since 2001. And it was led by fighters trained from Iran that came across from Iran. Taliban fighters. Who's talking about this right now? Who's talking about what Iran has done to fund and train the Taliban to take over Afghanistan? This is May 27th, 2018, Arab News. Iran funding Taliban to affect U.S. military presence in Afghanistan. Do you think it worked? Was the United States really just fighting against the Taliban in Afghanistan? Or was it also fighting against Iran? Did Iran push out the United States from Afghanistan? Or was it the Taliban? Well, they're one and the same now. They work together. Of course, each has its own interests in that. But this was a team effort to take out the United States. And right now, the Biden administration is obliging. This is uh, quoting um, somebody from Farah. This was after, this was a year after this previous attack, the main attack. 
Iran has been seriously helping the Taliban by providing financial assistance for several years now. It was also involved in the latest incidents. The city of Farah City falling to the Taliban, he says. Its assistance for the Western region expanded over several provinces, and the goal is to build its influence and strike a blow to the United States military presence in Afghanistan. This is uh, now talking about what happened on May 15th, 2018. They have been directly funding and providing arms to the Taliban as Iran sees Farah as a, as a part of its strategic interest. Then um, back in, uh, it talks about how last week, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo became apparently the first top American to officially publicly accuse Iran. Quote, Iran's support to the Taliban in forms of weapons and funding leads to further violence and hinders peace and stability for the Afghan people. And so, again, you've got a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan by the United States walking away. Think about this. But who's the Taliban working with since 2015? Iran. This is the Times now. July 2nd, 2018. Taliban's best fighters being trained by Iran. The Times. Times of London. Hundreds of Taliban fighters are receiving advanced training for special forces at military academies in Iran as part of a significant escalation of support for the insurgents, Taliban and Afghan officials have told the Times. The scale, quantity, and length of training is unprecedented and marks not only a shift in the proxy conflict between the U.S. and Iran inside Afghanistan, <clears throat> but, it also, but also potential change in Iran's ability to and will to affect the outcome of the Afghan war. 2018. Again, everyone's saying it's a Taliban that's taken over. We've handed leadership over Afghanistan to the Taliban. More likely, we've handed over leadership of Afghanistan to the Taliban as supported, propped up, and directed by Iran. By Iran, which the Bible calls the king of the south. This is uh, something that came out in 2020. But it's talking about what an attack that took place at the Bagram Airport or Air Base. This is where the United States Air Base was, the big one, in Afghanistan. And this is a report that was given to CNN about how the Haqqani Network, a terrorist group that's supported by the Taliban, that is back in Kabul today, that is actually in charge of security in Kabul, if you can imagine this, the Haqqani Network, who's got so much American blood on its hands, who, who at this point, back in 20, uh, 20, 2019, at the end, actually sent a suicide bomber into the Bagram Air Base to, to try and kill Americans. Its leader right now that has a $5 million US bounty on his head, he is in control of security for the Taliban inside Kabul where, again, the Americans are trying to get out their citizens. Who paid the Haqqani network, these Afghanis, to make this attack and others? Who paid them to kill Americans? Who incentivized them to kill Americans? Well, this is the report from CNN. And I think this report is August 17, 2020, but talks about what was happening uh, back earlier on uh, in 2019. CNN has just learned that an assessment by U.S. intelligence agencies has found that Iran, in addition to Russia, 
also paid bounties to Taliban fighters to target U.S. and coalition troops in Afghanistan. CNN's Alex Markhart is live in Washington with the breaking details. What are you to understand, Alex? Good morning, Allison. That's right. Not just Russian bounties, as you mentioned, but we're also talking about Iranian bounties on U.S. forces. We've learned that Iran has also been paying Taliban fighters to target American and allied troops in Afghanistan in exchange for bounties. That is the phrasing from the Pentagon. Now, last year alone, in 2019, U.S. intelligence identified payments linked to at least six attacks. One of them was a highly sophisticated attack in December at Bagram Air Base. That is the most prominent U.S. base in Afghanistan. That, atta that attack killed two civilians and injured dozens, including four American personnel. It was so sophisticated that U.S. airstrikes had to be called in to kill the Taliban attackers. Now, the name of the country that made those payments to the Haqqani Network, which is a branch of the Taliban, is classified. But two sources who are familiar with the intelligence told my colleague, Zach Cohen, that it refers to Iran. 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 Six separate times there were bank transfers to the Taliban, or the Haqqani Network, which is underneath the umbrella of the Taliban, from Iran for coordinated attacks against the United States. Did, did you, this was 20, 2018, 2019, and, and I think even into, almost even into 2020. That's what Iran was doing. Now, it looks like Iran was probably trying to blow up uh, not just the United States servicemen, but also there's peace talks between the Trump administration and the Taliban. And we have other indication that Iran basically sent its messengers to the Taliban that says that said, hey, just wait a bit, just wait a bit. Things are going to be changing soon. Hold off. Just like you had the Obama administration going to the Iranians saying, don't negotiate with Trump. Don't negotiate a new deal. Don't worry. If you can be patient, things are going to get better. Things are going to get better with the new American administration. And they did. They did for Iran. And they did for the Taliban. And I do think it is interesting, even what he was describing there, how uh, the, that Soleimani, uh, Soleimani the, the killing of Soleimani is part of the reason why they did that, why the Trump administration did that, wasn't just revenge for the one American contractor that was killed in Iraq, but also for these series of attacks that were taking place in Afghanistan. Now, they didn't really want to talk about that. The United States administration at the time didn't want to blow the cover on the IRGC's work in Afghanistan for some reason. Um, that is still unclear, just, uh, kind of unclear why. But as soon as as soon as uh, Soleimani was killed, though, Iran's involvement. So this is going back to January second, I think, twenty twenty. Iran's involvement in Afghanistan it only increased. It only increased. This is what was written by Javad Ahmad and Hussein Hakani, different Hakani uh, to the network. Uh, in the Hill back on February 6th, 2020. What does Soleimani's death, what does Soleimani's death mean for Afghanistan? It says this, Even though Soleimani's death has affected Iranian subversive activities across the Middle East, its Afghanistan portfolio might actually get a boost. Because the man who managed it as Soleimani's deputy is now his successor. General Ishmael Khani, whose adventures in Afghanistan trace back to the 1980s, has been the principal architect behind cultivating and directing Afghan armed proxies and jihadist cells. It has cost Tehran millions of dollars to operate its Afghan proxies, including the Taliban factions, 
So they, they've got proxies, the Iranians do, inside the Taliban. It's cost them millions of dollars, but the Quds Force, current Quds Force leader, he was directing that under Soleimani, and now the focus, the focus of the Quds Force after Soleimani's death pushed to Afghanistan to funding and, and training, further equipping the Taliban. Carney has also been active in securing tacit political backing for these groups among prominent Afghan factional leaders, talking about some other proxies that they use. And it goes on to talk about the Fatimiyan Brigade. Really interesting. I need to dig into this more. It revolves the Afghani fighters that were sent by Iran and paid by Iran to go into Syria and fight to support the, uh, the regime of Bashar al-Assad. In early 2019, no, in late 2019 into 2020, around the same time that Soleimani was killed, these Afghan fighters, so they're Afghanis fighting for Iran in Syria. There's about 20,000 of them. They were withdrawn from Syria. And Zarif, the former foreign minister of Iran, was questioned about this. What happened to those fighters? What happened to those fighters? The Afghan brigade that was fighting for you in Syria. And he says, oh, they weren't fighting for us. It was voluntary. Sure it was. Okay, so where are they? Well, they've gone back to their homes. They've gone back to their homes. So you're telling me fifteen to 20,000 heavily trained Afghanis that were fighting alongside the Quds Force to support Bashar al-Assad went back to Afghanistan in 2020 and they just picked up their farming equipment and went back to work farming on their farms? Or did they help out what's being seen right now? It's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know even when the, the, they were actually, it seems like they might have been called in to fight against the Islamic State in Afghanistan alongside the Afghani army. They could have done it that way, which might be the reason why some of the Afghani army folded because they had uh, perhaps uh, Shiite fighters in their midst. Well, they did, but those that were loyal to Iran as well. That's something that probably will come out soon about what they were doing. But the content of this article is basically showing that the Quds Force, current Quds Force leader, his area of expertise was Afghanistan. And so he took over in 2020. And what are we seeing right now? Amazing Taliban movements that looks like look like they're highly trained, just like the Quds Force. This article ends, make no mistake, Iran would like to export its Islamic revolution, not only across the Arab Middle East, but also through Afghanistan to Central Asia. Supporters of the early U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan might cite Iran's ability to attack American targets as one more reason why the U.S. should leave Afghanistan. But Iran's web of Afghan proxies, its ties with the Taliban function, uh, factions, and the potential influence of the Fatimian militia after a likely U.S. withdrawal are all the reasons for continued U.S. military and intelligence presence in Afghanistan. The U.S. has got to maintain a footprint there. Even it's only 2,500 men. Why? Not because of what the Taliban's going to do. Because of Iran's influence inside Afghanistan. That needs to be kept an eye on. But, again, that hasn't happened. And we're seeing just the very beginning of this right now. I have another article here, July 30th, 2020. Rarely, a rarely seen weapon destroys a helicopter in Afghanistan. 
Well, it's not just a helicopter. An Afghani helicopter was attacked in the country's south this week by what the United States and Afghan officials say was a missile rarely seen in the hands of the Taliban, raising new concerns for a beleaguered Afghan military and questions about who supplied the weapons. Have a guess. On Monday, a Black Hawk helicopter was returning from a medical evacuation mission in Helmand province and was preparing to land. It's unclear if the helicopter had touched down or was hovering just feet off the ground when it was struck by an anti-tank guided missile. At least two of the crew members aboard were wounded, one critically. It was the second attack of its kind this year. In January, another Afghan helicopter was hit by an anti-tank guided missile. Now, I'm quoting, again, American, this is New York Times, July 30, 2020. A year ago, Afghan and, American and Afghan officials claim the weapons used in both strikes were likely supplied by Iran, but offered no evidence to support the assertion. Well, it seems pretty obvious. They're the ones that have them. And they're the ones that, offer, that train people how to use them because they're difficult to use, these weapons. The accusation would be alarming if true as the influx of anti-tank guided missiles could not only give the Taliban a tactical advantage over the Afghan military, but also suggest Tehran was trying to undermine the American mission as it was poised to wind down. Iran has denied supplying weapons to the Taliban. Anti-tank guided missiles, which come in many, many variants, are common in Syria, Iraq, Yemen. And who supplies them with weapons? Obviously, it's the, the Iranians as well. Have we seen this? Now, we haven't seen it come out on the surface yet, how Iran is behind this push of the Taliban to take over, or supporting the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan. But I've read you maybe 10 stories in the past five years. If someone were to dig to see that Iran has been funding and equipping and training Taliban fighters, their own proxies to work in Afghanistan, uh, for the very purpose of moving fast when the United States announces its withdrawal, as it did. It announced it and said, we're getting out. No conditions, not conditions based. We're getting out no matter what. And so the Taliban sees it like, well, let's just go then. Let's go. And they have this very fast Iranian-backed surge across Afghanistan to take everything over and put thousands of Americans right now their lives in jeopardy, not to mention trying to figure out how to, what to do after many of them are taken, kidnapped, and be used by, for ransom uh, in the future. It's a huge, not just a betrayal of the Afghanis, what we're seeing right now, but this is a huge boon for Iran, for the biblically prophesied king of the South. Watch Jerusalem editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry, has written a book about this, The King of the South, Again, this is the terminology that the Bible gives, the radical Islamic empire led by Iran, this kingdom that is going to push the world towards war, the very kingdom that is engulfing uh, Afghanistan right now by virtue of a hasty withdrawal by the United States. And as we've seen, as we've said so much, this Biden administration, the Obama administration before it, their policy is to actively empower the king of the South to make it stronger to make it stronger so that it can attack the state of Israel, so that it can attack the United States as well. That's the purpose of this. And how it fits into the biblical prophetic scene is that you have a power that's going to grow in Europe that, that recognizes the danger of 
a radical Islam to its own security. And the Bible says that these two powers are going to clash, and the king of the north is going to be the victor in that. But again, these are prophecies that we see right now coming to pass. We see the radical Islamic empire of Iran being empowered by a Taliban takeover or an Iranian takeover through the Taliban of Afghanistan, and it is gaining the steam to produce this climactic battle uh, against the king, of the, the king of the North. And these events will precipitate the last three and a half year period of time before the Messiah's return. If it feels like we are living in a different age right now, in a different moment right now with what's going with Afghanistan, we are. We are. If, if you look at, look at prophecy, prophecy says when this king of the south becomes strong enough, it will push at Europe. And that is what sets the cascade of events, these, the dominoes start falling towards the coming of the Messiah. It doesn't get easier from right now. It doesn't get less climactic. It, the temperature is not going to go down. If you're hoping to catch your breath at some point, it's not going to happen. That is on the world scene. Now, you can catch your breath uh, from what's going to happen. You don't need to be worried for even your personal safety about what's going to happen if you really start listening to God and what, he, what his plan is for you in particular. And the King of the South actually goes into some of what that would mean as well. This booklet, again, written by our editor-in-chief, Mr. Gerald Flurry. I really do suggest that you read this book. I also want you to request another book. It's entitled America Under Attack. It'll make sense of this extremely erratic and bizarre foreign policy of the Obama administration and now continuing into the Obama administration's third term. It will make sense of that for you. Otherwise, you look at what's going right now in Afghanistan and think, why is the United States behaving like this? Why is the lone superpower in the world behaving like this? What happened to the pride in its power? What has happened to the leadership in the United States? Well, that book, America Under Attack, again, it makes that clear to you. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening in. If you'd like to send some feedback, please go ahead again and send your emails to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. And also, if you'd like to get a hold of our magazine to subscribe to the Watch Jerusalem magazine, again, you can do that at the website for free, or you can write an email to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il and request a copy of that magazine. Have a good week.